Colossians, and we have been spending our time on Colossians chapter 1. We've been in verses 15 through 20. Um, what you should know is that when Paul writes to the, Coloss- the church at Colossae, it's a church that he has never visited, but they had some issues. Um, one of the issues is some Greek people were coming in and saying, look, it's not enough to just be saved, you've got to add all this stuff. Some Jewish people were coming in, and they were getting saved, and they were saying, well, it's not enough just to be saved. We've got to add some of the Jewish stuff. And so Paul writes this book to help them understand that it's not about the stuff, it's about Christ. So this is a big book that's about Jesus, and it really is. In fact, in, in verses 15 through 20, which we have been looking at over the last couple of weeks, there are actually 13 statements about Jesus in those short five verses. Uh, Many Bible scholars believe that the early church used verses 15 through 20 as a hymn in which they would either quote or they would sing, put music to. Uh, And it is known as probably one of the earliest Christian hymns uh, based from Scripture in the New Testament. So uh, with that in mind, we have looked at at up through verse 18, and, and basically it breaks down into two sections. The first section is they talk about Jesus as creator. And going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and Jesus being there. And so the, the writer says, you know, you need to understand, Jesus was, was, was there at creation. He's the one who created. And then he spends the last part of this section talking about Jesus as Redeemer. He's the idea that, that he is the, the firstborn, he is the beginning of the new creation. And talking about the cross and salvation and, and, and what God does from that point on. So that's kind of the breakdown. We've talked about the creation part of it. Now we're going to talk about Christ as a redeemer part of it. So three short verses, but they're really packed. So um, we're going to look at them and unpack them verse by verse, and then we're going to get into applying it. So here's what we, here we go. Colossians chapter 1. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on heaven or things, in, or things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this is what we have. This is the end part of this, this hymn, this group, this passage that, that, that Paul speaks of. Let's walk through it section by section. And he is the head of the body, um, the church. What you need to understand is that in this culture, in our in our world, we value thinking above emotions. We value head decisions over heart decisions. We have a culture that gravitates towards your heart. You know that's why we. You know um, that's why. You know I mean if you, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but um, like at Super Bowl, what what's what hands down year after year after year? What's one of the favorite commercials? Huh? But the Budweiser, yeah, the Budweiser Dalmatians, the Budweiser horses, you know. Okay, now, now think about that for a minute. If you stop and think about it, how are they connected? And yet, when we see the Clydesdales, we're like, ooh. And we see the little puppies, and we're like, ooh. It makes me want to drink a beer. Um, no, you know, like I say, but that's how we motivate. That's how, our, you know, our culture tries to gear towards the heart stuff. And, and, and away from the head stuff, but yet we all know that we have to make good decisions in our head and not allow our emotions to take over. In this culture, they didn't do that. 
In this culture, decisions were made by the heart, not the head. In other words, uh, in this culture, it, it was a lot of their decisions were gut. You know, have you ever heard that? You know, you know, we, you know, my gut's just saying this, and and you know, and my head says this, but my gut says this, and so, in that culture, they would go with the gut. That's what they would go with every time. It's like, okay, if that's what your gut does, then go with your gut. So, Paul here writes. Jesus is the head of the church. And so stop for a second and think about what that would mean. Um, what does your head do in relationship to your body? Controls everything, doesn't it? I mean, you know, if you cut off an arm, you can survive. If we cut off your head, it's, it, it's kind of over. Okay, you know, I mean, really, I mean, you know, there's there's not a lot of coming back from that. All right. Uh, because why? And, and, and those of you, you're farm people, so you understand this. I'm not trying to be crude or anything else. You know that when you butcher a chicken. How do you kill it? You cut off the head. And if you've ever seen it. If you've ever watched what the chicken does afterwards. You understand the phrase running around like a chicken with their head cut off. It's the most bizarre, th- it's, it's a sadistic thing, but it's one of the most bizarre things you ever see. You know, and it is emblazoned in my mind. I was like 30 years old when I first saw this. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Um, if you, I don't know, one of our favorite shows, one of the shows my wife and I like is this Bear Grills or whatever it is, where he takes, where he takes, whoever he is, where he takes uh, these, uh, uh, actors and actresses and famous people and takes them in the wilderness for, for 48 hours, okay? Um, the guy that he had on this week was, was a hoot. They killed, a, they killed an alligator, okay? <clears throat> and the way you kill an alligator is you hit it in the spine and, and it severs it and it dies instantly. And they gutted it and then they had to carry it around. So the guy who was with him has to carry it around. Well, what he didn't know is for like the next 15 minutes, the tail just kept whapping this guy and hitting him and everything. So he's carrying around this alligator, getting beat to death by an alligator that's deader than a doornail. It doesn't have any insides, but it was just a spontaneous thing, okay? It was a natural thing. Why? But it had no control over any of it. Paul says, look, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one that should that, that determines the way everything goes. He's... At, at the center of the whole thing. And listen, that applies to our lives as well. Jesus needs to be the one that's in, the, in control. He needs to be the one calling the shots. And notice what he goes on to say. He says, um, in the beginning, and the firstborn from the, among the dead. We talked about this in verse 15. The idea of firstborn is not the idea that, that he was created. It's the idea that he had the rights and ownerships and privileges of the firstborn. In other words, because he's the head, because he's the top of it, because he's the one that's making it all happen, he gets to call the shots. He owns, as believers, he owns us. You know, we are bought with the price. Therefore, we glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are his. They're not ours anymore. And so Paul writes, he's the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. It's just a very simple idea that He's the one that should be at the top. 
And now Paul's writing this in relationship to the church, but it also applies to the relationship to individuals. You know, as a church here, we, we, you know, the board can tell you this. You know, this has been my prayer since day one for this place. Lord, we want to walk side by side with you. We don't want to get in front of you. We don't want to get behind you. We want it your plan, your purposes, your will, your timing, not ours. Because he's the one that needs to be directing what we do. We are simply stewards of it. And so that's so important. And so Paul says in the same way, he's the firstborn, the head of the He's the one that should have in all things supremacy. And then he goes on. Notice what he said. For God was pleased to have all, full, all his fullness dwell in him. Um, I don't have time to unpack all of this, but the, that little word, all his fullness. Later on, the Gnostics, the Greek portion of this thing, uh, the Greeks are going to really struggle with this idea. And Paul here chooses a word through the Holy Spirit. We talked about this Wednesday night. Those of you that was, Remember I talked about how God chose very, very specific words? This is a great example of this. Paul here uses a word here where he says, it is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This idea of all his fullness is a word that later the Gnostics are going to adopt as a key cornerstone of their belief about the idea that Jesus wasn't fully God. And here, Paul lays out early the idea that, no, 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 God chose to put all of his fullness in Jesus to dwell, and the word again, very, very specific, to dwell permanently in him. So it's the idea of he is, and this is the way we say it theologically, he is fully God. Fully God. And that's what Paul said. That's not what these people were trying to introduce into the church. They were trying to introduce this thing that like Jesus is all the way down here. And, and Paul says, no, no, no. He is fully God. And then he goes on. Notice what he said. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. This idea of reconcile has the idea of making things right, fixing things that are broken. Um, we think of it in terms, you know, if you hear that a couple's been, had struggles and they reconcile, what does it mean? It means two parties came together figured out where they could agree, put the, worked through the other stuff, and they made things right again. And Paul says this is what Jesus was doing. He was making everything right again. In Genesis, God creates a perfect world, fellowship with man. Satan comes in. Man chooses sin. Satan ruins the whole thing. Jesus says, I want to make it right again. But in order to make it right again, I've got to deal with the sin thing. And the only way to deal with the sin thing is for somebody to pay for sin. And so, notice what he goes on to say. He makes all things, whether in heaven or th and things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So he brings us back to this idea of the cross, is that, that one of the purposes of the cross is to reconcile, to make everything right. And you need to understand, some of you are all bent out of shape, get all bent out of shape about the direction the world's heading. Okay? I don't like the way the direction the world's headed anyway, but theologically, I expect it. Here's why. Satan is a prince of the power of the earth. This is where Satan's got free reign right now for a while. You really think something that he's in charge of is going to go in a better direction? I mean, really, what are you holding your breath for? Because everything that I know about Satan, whose main focus is steal, kill, destroy... Everything he deals with goes down. It doesn't go up. 
Everything he deals with heads, heads down and gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So I'm not surprised when the world go, is going off the deep end. I look at it as a more of a challenge for me. Why? Because as a believer, I get to live differently. I don't have to live down, 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 down. I don't have to live in, 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 in chaos. I can actually show the world a different way to live and a better way to live because my hope is sourced in a Christ who went to the cross, not in the direction this world heads. And it's so important. There's coming a day, by the way, and this is our hope as believers, there's coming a day in which because Jesus went to the cross, he is going to make it all right again. And it is going to be the way he wanted it to be. And it is going to be that original intent with no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no difficulty. But it took him going to the cross to pave a way whereby we could be reconciled. Do you understand that the fact that you and I deal with weeds in our garden is because of Satan? That's not the way God intended it. When God created this place, the, the ground... It, the ground was this incredible, beautiful thing. You didn't even have to work. You didn't, there was no, God, because of this, we had to invent tillers. Up until, at creation, it was like you put, you could stick your hand in the soil and flip it over. It worked so smoothly. God is in the purpose. The cross allows Jesus and God Jesus, to reconcile everything to himself, to present it back to God the way that it should be. And there will be a day in which that happens. That's why the writer in John says over and over again, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because he longs for and looks forward to that day. But until that day, you and I live in a world that's set it down. And our job is to show a world a way to do it differently. And so one of the ways that we do that is exactly what Paul is talking about here. So let's talk about some practical application with it. Um, what does it mean for you? You're going to go to work tomorrow um, or today or whenever you're going to go to work. So what, what does all of it mean? When we talk about the idea that Jesus is the head, let's apply it to us, and not just as a church but as, as individuals. First thing is this. He's got to be the one in control. Your head is in control this week. It tells your arm what to do. It, tells, it processes the things that you see, the things that you hear, the things that you taste. It tells your stomach what to do. It, it, the whole thing is controlled right here. That's why strokes are so devastating. Why? Because it messes up the signal from here to there. That's why you watch a video of a 14-year-old kid where they've got to lift this leg and plop it down because he can't do it on his own anymore because his head does not connect to the nerves to tell it to do it. Why? Because the head is so important that it controls everything. Can you imagine your hand trying to be your head for a week? I mean, your hand knows what it does, and it has plans and purposes for how it functions. Can you imagine it saying, you know what, I, I want to be the head this week? It doesn't know nothing about, it doesn't know anything, nothing. I sound like I'm from the South. Um, it doesn't know anything about, and no offense to Southerners, but 
get offended. Uh, anyway, um, I, it doesn't know anything about the eyes or taste or hearing. or uh, It doesn't have that function. Why? The, it only knows this world. But the head connects it all together. Yet some of you, the analogy is the same. Instead of letting Jesus be the head, be the one in control in your life, you're over here going, no, 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 no. I know better, so I want to control it. And you're controlling it from such a limited perspective. And that's why it's not working. And Paul says, look, Jesus is the head of the body of the church. It's the same thing for you and I. He's got to be the one in control this week. Because here's the bottom line. If you haven't figured it out yet, you're going to mess it up. You're going to mess it up. Because you don't have the wealth of wisdom, knowledge, experience, understanding that God does. And if you will learn to let Him be in control instead of yourself, you'll find it is so much easier. It is so much easier. Not only is it the idea of um, the idea that, that, that he's the one that's in power, but or he's the one in control, but he's also the source of power. Um, okay, let me take you on a quick history lesson um, on cell phones. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about cell phones. Okay, I'm trying to think of a way to make this impact you all week, so here it goes. Here's, what, here's, what, here's, here's my analogy. Bear with me, all right? Uh, but I got you a little bit of history of cell phones. Uh, anybody remember the first cell phone that ever happened? Um, throw that one up. Okay, first cell phone. Okay, <laughs> um, kids are going. Oh, I've never seen that, and all of the as old people are going. I remember that. Uh, no, okay, no. Actually, this was the first cell phone we owned. Uh, throw up the next one. Uh, you guys remember this? Okay, anybody remember this? Okay, these were called bag phones. Okay, and and you plug them into the cigarette lighter in your car. And we lived out over by where Lael does, over by German City. By the way, uh, this, 1983, 1983, okay? Uh, we, we lived there, and, and, and the reception wasn't great, so you had to put an antenna on the car. Remember that? You had to, like, stick it in. Kids are looking at us going, what in the world? You guys carried that? Oh, yeah. And let me tell you something. You were, like, the coolest person in the world if you owned one of these. You know, these were big deals. And then we went to a more portable version. Uh, it looked like this one. Um, <clears throat> once in a while, you'll see these in movies. It's, it's a hoot. You're like, oh, okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> these are cool. I'll never forget the first time I was with one of these things. Uh, went out on a golf course, Dick Salem. We were out on a golf course golfing. And we had a group that met on Monday nights and went golfing, and Dick brought one of these things and put it in a golf cart. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He goes, oh, no, no, no. He said, you know, in my business, I get calls all the time. I said, I don't care about your business. I'm out play golf. Cell phones do not belong on a golf course. It is a rule of life. You cannot take a cell phone on a golf course, you know. And he's got this big hunk, that thing. I mean, it's just like that. <laughs> he's got it sitting on a golf course thing, you know. And I'm like, I did not. I'm getting out of the office so I don't have to listen to calls. Uh, guess what goes on a golf course with me now? Um, try to keep it in the bag, but nonetheless, I have a, you know, mainly so that you can, I haven't played golf in a long time, but. Now, now you can actually call, you can actually call and order your lunch so that when you get to the lunch thing, it's ready for you. Ah, uh, and that's the biggest use of a cell phone for me on a golf course. But anyway, um, then, uh, the, the history-wise, here's what happened then. Uh, uh, 1989, uh, flip up the next one. 1989 was the first flip phone, okay? Uh, 
1996, first smartphone uh, came out. Uh, 2003, the BlackBerry. That was, that was a big deal because we had the, the whole keyboard thing on it. Um, and then 2007, that was only eight years ago, by the way, uh, the first iPhone. Okay. So that's what's happened since 1983. Now, <clears throat> here's mine. Um, I, I got Samsung Galaxy. Um, no, I don't get anything for saying that. Um, I had, I've had the iPhone. Um, I'm now using this, and I don't know what I'll use next. Uh, I have reasons. They all have pros and cons. Don't ask me which one's better. You've got to figure out which one's better for you, okay? But for me, went to this. Uh, battery life was a big issue to me. Expanded memory was a big issue to me. I can control more of that, so I, I went to this. I hate these big things. I, do, I like the small size. I really do. I miss this. The, I miss that. But anyway, so this is mine, okay? This is my cell phone. <clears throat> now, um, one of the big issues with cell phones today, if you haven't figured it out yet, is battery life, okay? Uh, and so battery life becomes a big deal. Um, uh, by the way, let me give you my, my theological perspective of cell phones, okay? My personal theological perspective goes like this. This is for me to call you. Period. You know, people are like, oh, I called you on your cell phone. It's not what I have it for. I have a house phone for that. Okay? I have this to call you. That's why. That's why I have it. Okay? And so I don't live with this thing attached to my life. I really don't. When I go home today, it's going to sit on the counter. I will pick it up again. I, if I walk by and see that there's something on it, I might look at it. But I sits on my counter, and I don't pick it up again until I leave the house. Because if I leave the house, I might want to call you. So that's why I have it. That's my philosophy in it. You know, so if you want to try to get me, call the house, all right? Uh, you're, you're taking a gamble if you're going to call my cell phone number, all right? It's just the way it is. So anyway, so that, here's the way it is. This is my cell phone. Now, battery life's a big deal to me. So I, I've got a bunch of apps and stuff like that. So right now, my app tells me that I have an estimated time, 84% of my battery left, 15 hours and 22 minutes, okay? Because here's what I did. Last night, I charged it up. And then I uncharge it, I, I pull it off the charger, and I carry it with me. Because it's not like the old bag phone where it's got to be plugged in. And the bag phone, remember, you, you know, you like, took it to your car and you plugged in the cigarette lighter so you could use it? Um, it's not like that. I don't have a cord with me everywhere. Why? Because I intend for the battery to give me the power that I need to make calls. To give me the power to do the things that I want to do. That's what, that's what this is for. I don't leave it plugged in. Pretty simple concept. Well, what about your spiritual life? Let's, let, let's take that same concept, and let's, let's look at your spiritual life this week in the same way that you deal with your cell phone. So, let's say, for instance, that I plugged it in last night. And I'm not going to plug it in again until next Saturday night. And I'm going to go all week and never, ever plug it in. Never going to give it another shot of power. All I'm going to do is, that's it. That has got to carry me for the whole week. Now, here's the sad thing. Some of you, that will carry you for like a month because, you know, you don't ever use it. Uh, but most of you, I would say by the end of the day, it's dead. If you've got a newer battery or a newer, longer life one, you might get two days out of it. But I guarantee you, you won't get a whole week if you use it at all. Why? Because you've got to recharge it. 
And if you don't recharge it, it's going to die on you. Now, so picture this now. I don't recharge it. I get up Tuesday morning and it says, warning, 5% left. And I go, that's okay. I got 5%. Thursday, it's off. Got zero charge left. I get up. I get ready to go to the city. I'm on the way to the city, and I want to call you, and I try to turn on my phone. My phone won't turn on. And I go, you know what? Stupid phone. I don't even know why I carry a phone like this. It never works. It's the dumbest thing in the world. I spent all this money on something that doesn't work. And I get up Friday, and I complain about how lousy my phone is. And I complain about all day Saturday. And then Saturday night, I charge it up. And then I'm happy for a couple of days. And then I go to use it, and it's dead again. And I whine and complain about how lousy it is, and it doesn't work. No, Is the problem the phone? No. The problem is I'm not charging it up. That's exactly why some of you are struggling in your Christian life. You come on Sunday, and you get all charged up, and the fellowship and encouragement, and da 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 and you hear the preaching, and it's like, hey, 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 and then you don't touch anything spiritual for the next six, seven days. And then you wonder why on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, you're, or Friday or Saturday, you are struggling like you're struggling. You wonder why you're, you're, there's no joy. You wonder why there's no peace. You wonder why there's no contentment. Because here's the thing. That spiritual charge you got on Sunday morning is over. It has exhausted itself. You used all of it up on Monday or maybe Tuesday or maybe even in going home from church on Sunday. (laughs) And that's it. You're done. Until you take the time to recharge it again. That's why we read our Bible during the week. That's why we pray. Because we see Christ as the head. That means he's the source. That means he's got to be the power. That means he's the one that's got to give me the insight, the encouragement, the strength, the ability to go through the next day. And that's why some of you are so frustrated. That's why some of you, the Christian life is like, it's not working for me. It's not working for you because you're not not doing it like you need to do it. It's It's not about the phone. It's about you not accessing what you need to access in order for you to be able to live life like Jesus Christ intended you to live it. And that's what, when Paul says, look, Christ is the head, he's talking about he is the source. He is the power. He's the one that needs to be in control. And that's why some of you, by the end of the week, you're so frustrated with your Christian life because you haven't recharged it with anything during the week. You haven't listened to Christian radio. You haven't picked up a Bible. You haven't prayed. You haven't talked to a Christian friend. You haven't done all the things that can recharge you through the week. I mean, look, folks, we talked about this Wednesday night. There is no time in the history of the world where you and I have more access to the Bible. I have, I I don't just have a Bible on this phone. I have like 50 translations on this phone. And by the way, if you have the version app, you do too. I've got it on my iPad. I've got it on my computer. You know, you can, you can set your computer up, bring up a verse every day on your email automatically. <laughs> you know, you can go and buy a calendar, one of those old daily calendar things. Um, for years, I, I, I always had a daily calendar thing of, um, um, oh, come on, what was that guy? Gary Larson stuff, Farside calendar. Um, because that was my encouragement for the day. Oh, another cool far side. Um, 
But, you know, you peel one of those off every day. You can have verses on there, too. You can have all kinds of things. You're like, I've never used a calendar. Um, do it on your computer. Do it on your phone. Do it wherever you have it. You have access to the Word of God all the time, folks. You throw a Bible in your car. You can do all kinds of things in order to get recharged during the week. What's sad is for some of you, for some of you, it'll be a couple of weeks before you come back. And you wonder why you struggled? Your phone would too. If you treated your phone like you treated your Christian life, how far would you get this week with your phone? That's my challenge for you. Because he's the source of power for your life as well. And he goes on in this thing, not only that, but he's the one who guides you. You understand that in that book, is a solution to every problem and struggle you got? You understand what God has done to put that book in your hands? We've talked about this Wednesday night. It is amazing how privileged we are to live in this time, in this place, in this part of the world, with what we have access to when it comes to that book. And for some of you, you're struggling with stuff right now, and here's what's sad. The answer is sitting there. God is there to guide you, direct you, help you through it, give you hope and encouragement and all the things that you need to be able to get through it. The answer is right there. But you're not letting it guide you. You're running around to all kinds of other people and places and things going, help me, help me, help me, help me. When honestly, it's here. And when Paul talks about Christ as the head, just like your head guides you, this book can guide you. It can help you figure out what to do business-wise. It can help you figure out what to do financially. It can help you figure out what to do relationally. It can help you figure out what to do with your kids. It can help you figure out what to do with your priorities and your goals and your direction. It can guide you in all of that stuff. But not if you don't use it. Not if you don't access it. Not if you don't make Christ the center of your life and let him control stuff. And like you said at the end, his goal is to reconcile all things to himself. God takes great delight in bringing peace out of chaos. He takes great delight in taking stuff that you have messed up beyond measure and making incredibly great things out of it. He loves doing that. And, and I would just challenge you, because some of you are struggling here. And you don't need to be. Because you've got everything you need. Some of you might be here this morning, you, know, you don't have a faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's where you start. You get reconciled to God. You make sure that your sin's taken care of between you and God. Put your faith and trust in Christ, Christ alone. Now you've got a relationship. Now you can go forward with all the things we've been talking about. For those of you who have been Christians or been Christians for a while, look. I get it. I get the idea that after you've been a Christian for a while, you kind of coast on that for a little while. You feel like, I don't need to read the Bible as much. don't need to pray as much. I don't need to do this as much. I think you need to do it even more. Because you see, the longer that we're a Christian, the more opportunities God gives us and puts in front of us. And the more important it is that we are ready at all times to be able to help and pour our lives into those around us.
You know, I can't tell you the number of times that, you know, I'm doing something, you know, I mean, even this week, you know, um, I'm in the middle of something and I get called and I, man, I don't have time to run home and get a Bible. I don't have time to do it. And, and, and you gotta, you got to just minister to people with what you've got in your tank for that day. Can you imagine if all I had in my tank was what I got this morning? Um, I would have lasted till Monday morning last week. And that's pretty much over. Why? Because God wants to be the head of our lives. He wants to be in control. And Paul writes to these people and says, look, you need to get it right. If you're gonna, again, we st- he starts this whole thing about how do you grow. We're going to wrap that up next week. And at the end of the chapter. But he's talking about that. How do you grow? One of the ways that you grow, you let Christ be the head this week. Let him guide you. Let him control you. Let him empower you. And take each day and say, all right, Lord, I don't know what's coming down the pike today. But apparently, God, you have something for me because you've given me today. So help me depend on you. Lead me to the people I need to be led to. Give me the words to say. Let me know when I need to shut up and when I need to open my mouth. Let me know when, Lord, I need to go this place instead of that place. Use me. Lord, you call the shots today. And don't let me get in the way. One of the pastors that I I admired um, for years, you know, it, it took me back the first time I ever heard him pray it. But one of the things that he said was, um, you know, he said, Lord, use me today in spite of myself. And I thought, what a great prayer. How candid, how can you get more candid than that, Lord? Just use me and try not to let me mess it all up today. And I watch God use him over and over and over again. So my prayer for you goes something like this. God desires to reconcile with you and have you trust him as your Savior. He went to the cross so that can happen. Allow him to be the one who controls you, guides you, is your daily source of power. Allow him to be supreme in your life and your actions all week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's so easy to do things our way. It's so easy, Lord, for us to be dependent upon ourselves, to not focus on you. It's so easy, Lord, to get wrapped up in our world and kind of forget, Lord, that uh, we really need your help. Lord, so often we go into situations in our own strength and our own power, and Lord, uh, when we when we do have success, it's short-lived, and Lord, but oftentimes we just make a bigger mess of it. So Lord, help us to get back to the point that we really, really depend on you. That Lord, we, we, we get back into your word, that we get back into spending time with you and praying, and, and Lord, we get back into the idea of just recharging our lives throughout the week, Lord, with with things that we need to keep us going. So, Lord, use us. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in our lives. And use us this week, these things we ask in your name. Amen.